Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. One of the most famous film franchises of all time will come to a close this week, at least as we know it. Will it succeed? Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. Another of our favorite shows is launching its final season this weekend. We'll tee up season four of Jack Ryan. Plus, we'll also tee up and review the first half of season three of the Netflix smash hit, The Witcher. One of the most anticipated movies of the year opens this weekend. It's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I've seen things. Things I can't explain. And I've come to believe it's not so much what you believe. It's how hard you believe it. Who is this man? I'm her godfather. Get back! Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is the fifth and presumably final entry in the series. It began more than 40 years ago, of course, with Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Temple of Doom, the Last Crusade, and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. This time, the 80-year-old Indy teams up with his goddaughter, played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, to take on Mads Mikkelsen and... Get the Dial of Destiny, I guess. We'll find out. The movie also stars Antonio Banderas, Karen Allen, John Rice davies Toby Jones, and Boyd Holbrook, as well as many others. He's not credited, but maybe we'll get a cameo from everyone's favorite character, Mutt, played by Shia LaBeouf. Uh, aside from Mutt, the most notable person missing from the production, of course, is director Steven Spielberg. He decided not to return behind the camera for the first time in the series, but does retain an executive producer credit. This time out, directing will be James Mangold, who's made some excellent films like Ford versus Ferrari, Logan, Copland, and Walk the Line. Dial of Destiny is at 66% on Rotten Tomatoes, which frankly is encouraging. We all got our hopes up last time around and got burned pretty badly. So I think going in with a little bit lower expectations this time could help. I don't think anyone will be going in thinking this movie will live up to the original trilogy. I don't think those can be touched at this point. So if we calibrate our expectations accordingly, there should be some stuff to enjoy in this movie, I would think. And I would think maybe chief among them will be the score the indie theme is just terrific john williams scores of course in general tend to be pretty great so i'm excited about that i think i'm excited more and more each day in general i was gonna tell myself brett don't get your hopes up too high don't get too excited about this but uh i'm starting to feel it what about you yeah i'm getting excited because last night i decided to sit down and watch the bible speaks of the ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions not something to be taken lightly no one knows its secrets. Jones, do you realize what the Ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. An army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. Raiders of the Lost Ark, the perfect adventure film. It is the movie that all adventure films aspire to be, including, I guess, Indiana Jones 4 and perhaps 5. Did you succeed in rewatching all four? I've rewatched the first three. I finished that in the last couple of days, and it's the second time I've watched the original trilogy since April, uh, which is kind of bonkers, <laughs> but uh, maybe March. Um, but yeah, I've watched those three movies twice in the last couple of months. I will watch The uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull probably tonight, certainly before I go see the movie in a few days. Yeah, The, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, I just... 
if I'm if I'm ranking them in the end, it doesn't really matter with that original trilogy <laughs> because all three movies are excellent. Yes. But with this first one, it still holds up and it just it might have the the best setup, the best like opening sort of sequence in the history of movies, I mean, I, I, I'm going off the top of my head, and I'm sure that somebody's actually done something on this. But just the way that they introduce, immediately we know we're in some sort of exotic location. We know that our primary character is kind of he's kind of mysterious, but he's got skill. They're they're in a dangerous spot. He's and then he oh he's looking for this treasure, but he's got to be careful to get the treasure and then he's got to escape certain doom and then he meets his nemesis and he has to run and escape from them and they, it's just perfect. It's such a perfect setup and the movie has the action holds up, the mystery holds up and it's under 2 hours. Yep. That blows my mind too. Yeah, they, all those movies barely. I think the third, the uh, Last Crusade, clocks in at two oh eight, but the first two are under two hours, and you just don't see that anymore. And I can't imagine this new one's under two hours. So I'm going to look it up. And I can't remember when I last watched all three of these movies. I think it's been within the last year, but of course, because I started, I now must carry on and complete, starting with this next one. Valima. 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 Shakti de. The Temple of Doom, certainly the weirdest of the original three movies. Dark. But uh, I still like it. And that mind chat or that mind scene, the mind chase scene. Yep. Well, some of the effects, of course, now you can tell it's practical. But when that came out, actually, there were two things in that movie. Three, really. So there's that scene where they fall out of the plane on that inflatable, <laughs> yeah. which I remember when I first saw the commercial for that on TV, I thought, oh my gosh. And land on a mountaintop. They don't land like in the in the water or something like that. They just land on snow and someone in Hollywood was like, snow soft, they'll be all right. Yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> and then that scene where he rips the guy's heart out oh my while God. he's still alive, that was crazy. And then that mine car chase scene was so cool when it first came out. And it's still fun oh, to yeah. watch. The, the mind chase scene, uh, for my money, is the best action scene in any Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. I really like it. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And then, of course, uh, the third one, The Last Crusade. For some adventures, one Jones is not enough. Dad? Junior? Don't call me that, please. Yeah, just playing all these clips is getting me really excited to see the Dial of Destiny. I'll even say this. The last time I watched this one, I didn't mind it so much. Legend says that a crystal skull was stolen from a mythical lost city in the Amazon, supposedly built out of solid gold, guarded by the living dead. Whoever returns the skull to the city temple will be given control over its power. Yeah, so the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, we've talked about this before, but yep. I think we were both a little too generous maybe when we first saw it in theater, just riding sort of that excitement of... It may be the first time I actually saw Indiana Jones on a big screen. I don't think I saw any of the original three on a big screen. I saw Last Crusade on the big screen. Oh, yeah? Yeah, but okay. I was a kid, 13, I guess. Okay, so I think I was just pumped to see Indiana Jones. It wasn't until I later thought about it and thought about many of the things that were wrong with it. But once you sort of go into it accepting that, okay, so it's going to have some bad CGI. It's going to have Shia LaBeouf, a.k.a. Mutt, swinging through the forest with the monkeys, which is <laughs> so dumb. It's so dumb. Uh, 
and the and a weird ending. I still can't get on board with that ending. But overall, I thought it was a neat mystery and a neat story. So yeah. it's it's okay. It is okay. It's every, every time I rewatch it, I like it a little bit more. And I think there's the passage of time is doing that. And because uh, the the CGI was a big thing at the time, but now you know it's. It, I won't say it's quaint, but it's like, ooh, it's of that era. In that, that whole decade from 2000 to 2010 is filled with movies with bad CGI because everyone was still kind of trying to figure out CGI. It's like, well, we can do whatever we want with it. And a lot of them, uh, to quote another Steven Spielberg movie, Jurassic Park, uh, your, your scientists were worried about whether they could do it. They never stopped to think whether they should do it. And that's how you get <laughs> Shia LaBeouf swinging with the monkeys on a vine and stuff like that. Or the monkey looking straight at the camera and giving a little wink or something like that. One, one swings in closer or something like, you know, there's just all sorts of weird stuff in there. That whole fight in the jungle, it's pretty cool, except that it was just looks so choppy with a CEI. You could tell that it was not done in the jungle. Whereas, of course, the other Indiana Jones movies were done on location or they just made big, giant, huge sets and a big fake boulder. Yeah. By the way, Fast X has topped the big boulder scene. So sorry, <laughs> Indiana Jones. Sorry, Raiders of the Lost Ark. But uh, Vin Diesel just beat you guys at that. I'm All just right. kidding. <laughs> I will say that what I've heard about the Dial of Destiny is that the first 20 minutes are amazing. And that's uh, that's where they take us back. Because you can see in the trailers there are a lot of things where... De-aged. We, de-aged. And we see him at various parts of his life so that looks cool and I'm curious to see where this Dial of Destiny takes us because it looks like it takes him to back in in time a few points but I'm hearing that this movie cost just shy of 300 million dollars to make so it's going to have to make like one and a half billion dollars, really, <laughs> to 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 even be seen remotely as a success. That's wild. Um, it's two hours and thirty four minutes. By the way, I just looked at them. So that's not there too you bad. Go. It's certainly in keeping with the modern blockbuster. That's it. There you go. So we'll have a review of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny for you next week. And up next, Jeff is going to take you down to the asteroid city. You are listening to the Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and Wes Anderson is up to his old tricks once again in a movie called Asteroid City. My word, it's hot. It's the desert. What'd you expect? I don't know, but I'm wilting like a cut petunia. Asteroid City, from director Wes Anderson. Tonight you're in for a real treat. I don't like the way that alien looked at us. Secure the site. Detain all witnesses. I'm in no hurry. I like the desert. I like aliens. This isn't the beginning of something, is it? We're about to find out. Asteroid City, rated PG-13. In select theaters June 16th. In theaters everywhere June 23rd. And it stars Tom Hanks, Scarlett Johansson, Jason Schwartzman, Jeffrey Wright, Tilda Swinton, Brian Cranston, Ed Norton, Adrian Brody, Liev Schreiber, Steve Carell, Matt Dillon, Maya Hawk, Willem Dafoe, Margot Robbie, and many more. A stacked cast, as always, for Wes Anderson. It's his 11th film. I can't say it's one of his best movies. His previous movie, The French Dispatch, didn't grab me as much as many of his earlier films had either. So I'm a little concerned that either, A, this dude has lost his fastball and is now just an imitation of himself or more likely I'm dumb and I just didn't get it. The setup for the story pretty simple is a big weekend in the tiny town of Asteroid City where a collection of young science nerds are gathering for an academic event of some sort and their lives all collide over the course of the week and some crazy stuff happens. It sounds pretty simple. It's actually a lot more confusing because the movie is set up as us watching a TV show 
uh, about the stage play titled Asteroid City. So it's this weird nesting doll scenario, uh, which he has done forms of before in other movies. I would say most everything he does here is something he's done before. Now, I mean, he does have his signature style, which is twee and precise, and his set design and decoration are just the driving force of all his productions. His movies look like dollhouses or other play sets come to life. It's intricate. Every detail is clearly almost frighteningly obsessed over. Now, I mean, that's impressive, but it's kind of continually been ramping up throughout his career uh, like the Fast and the Furious or the John Wick movies do with action. He does with these life-size dollhouse sets to the point where there is just absolutely nothing in Asteroid City that's realistic to look at. And 22 years ago, when the Royal Tenenbaums came out, you know, he was very much on his way with the way that Tenenbaum home was decorated in that movie. But it also looked like a home where people could conceivably live in real life and those days are gone. And again, I know in Asteroid City, it's that it's a play... It's a movie of a show of a play kind of a thing. So maybe that's uh, part of it as well. But still, it's just all reality is just gone from this movie. I will point out that in the end credits, the part that, you know, in big blockbuster movie credits would be the list of a thousand graphic artists who worked on the film with the digital effects. In Asteroid City, that part is the construction department. All the set builders, they just rule the credits and there are many of them. And you know what? The look of the film isn't even the problem. I was mostly just bored by the story and the characters. They all sound the same. They all talk in a boring monotone, and I just couldn't connect with any of it. Um, it can't be the actor's fault. There's too many established names with too much talent. So I guess it's Anderson's fault this time around. I mean, there are still a few things to enjoy. I laughed quite a bit and even got to enjoy the odd s structure of the film once I got used to it. And it's not too long. It ends when it should. Uh, it's become an increasing uh a problem for me, but there's nothing here that wowed me either. And again, I'm not sure if it's a me problem or if it's more of a Wes Anderson problem. I'll sort of want to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I hope I'm up for it when he hits another high note, like he did with movies like the grand Budapest hotel or moonrise kingdom or the Royal Tenenbaums, but asteroid city, uh, just didn't do it for me. I will give it three couch cushions out of five, but I don't think you need to rush out to theaters to see this one. All right, sounds good. And I just wanted to give you a heads up on a couple of television shows. One of them is about the excellent Apple TV Plus series Silo. They've put the entire first episode on Twitter. What if what we see is not what's out there? So its first season finale is on June 30th, but you can watch that first episode now on Twitter at Apple TV. I've had a couple of people ask me in recent days, are you watching Silo? And I said, yes, I am. And they're like, oh man, it's so good. And uh, Mr. Braun, I know you'd like to spend some time on Twitter. Is Would that be something to tempt you into perhaps signing up for the trial? It's a pretty good uh, move on Apple's part. Um, I, I just might. Maybe I will. It's, it's, a, it's actually really sweet marketing move on their part. Yeah. Uh, other platforms will start doing stuff like that. Like put them on YouTube or something like that. Because that pilot episode is fantastic. And really, like, on a, if I were to call it right now, I think Silo would be number two on my top 10 shows of the year. Really? Behind Ted Lasso. So it was a good Holy year for, Ed, for Apple TV+. Plus. No kidding. Uh, yeah, I really, really enjoy it. So highly recommend for it. For a guy who hates Apple stuff, by the way, everybody, uh, Brett is adamant against the iPhone. And, uh, oh, yeah. And 
iPhone AirPods sucks. and Apple watches or whatever else they make. It pains me to, <laughs> to admit that Apple TV Plus is uh, produces good stuff. When I first heard that, I thought, oh, come on, get out of this game, Apple. I don't like you. <laughs> there is also a new show on Global that debuted last week on June 21st that looks pretty cool. We got a commercial building on fire. Wednesday, a groundbreaking new series from Dick Wolf. Should I risk my life? Like, the answer is yes. Real calls. We're always called on someone's worst day. There's somebody trapped inside. Real rescues. There's a vehicle that's gone over the road. Cardiac arrest, someone's not ready. Real heroes. Life is literally in our hands. We got a fault. We fight for life. Jesus. LA Fire and Rescue. New series Wednesday at 7 on Global. Also available on Stack TV. So this is a docu-series that tells the stories of the real-life heroes of the Los Angeles County Fire Department. And as you heard in that clip, it's from Dick Wolf. That's the guy behind Law & Order, the Chicago series, the FBI series. Maybe you've watched an episode or two of his stuff. So he knows his stuff when it comes to emergency stuff. And I'm guessing we might be seeing more shows like this if this writer's strike drags on for a while longer. And if the actors go on strike, good Lord. So that's Wednesdays on Global. Up next, we are heading back to Netflix to tell you about season three of one of their biggest hits. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. And this weekend, Netflix is debuting season three, part one. Of the Witcher. Neutrality. It won't get you a statue. But it'll certainly help in keeping you alive. I won't abandon Siri. Neutrality has consequences too. Embrace. Well, that's deeply worrying. The grizzled voice of Henry Cavill playing Geralt of Rivia, also known as the White Wolf, also known as the Witcher. Who is the Witcher? Well, first, he's got long white hair. He's gruff. He doesn't suffer fools. If you cross him, he will beat you senseless or slice you to pieces. And since it's a fantasy show, he fights and kills big, ugly monsters. And he's got some magical and supernatural elements about him. The Witcher originally debuted in a series of Polish short stories, which started in 1986 and then evolved into a book series. And then in 2007, a video game series was launched. And now we've got this television show on Netflix. Although the people behind the show say... This is an adaptation of the books, not the video games. And while there may be some stylistic cues that appear to honor the video game, they say it's adapted from the books. What is a Witcher? They're trained monster hunters, and they are impartial to politics. They don't care about your intercontinental squabbling. They just want to kill monsters and help people while getting paid in the process. And otherwise, just stay out of the way due to their training and tough mutation they endure as youngsters as part of their training they are super tough they've got heightened senses they can cast some simple magic spells that help in a pinch during a battle and when they really need to get tough they drink something called a blizzard potion that turns their eyes black almost like a cat potion it widens their pupils heightens their senses and makes them stronger his life though is turned upside down when he finds himself bound by destiny to young Princess Ciri of Sintra. And it turns out she might be the key to everything in the continent because 
Of course she is. Also in this world, mages, powerful users of magic. And our witcher's life also becomes intertwined by and with one of the most powerful, Yennefer of Vengerberg, who uses fire magic. And eventually all three of their lives collide, all in the middle of a continental war. Because like all fantasy shows, it's a giant power struggle with one area trying to gain power over the other. And that's basically that. Like, I don't want to go into super hard plot details. That's just as, about as basic a setup as I can give. Because A, it would just be way too cumbersome to go into all the plot details. And B, I can't honestly remember half of it. Because season one debuted in December of 2019. Season two debuted in December of 2021. And when season two came out, I watched it and then rewatched season one. I should have done that in reverse order. I'm not sure why I didn't start with season one again, because it would have helped with season two. And even having now watched season one twice, I still can't remember everything. And because I've only watched season two once, I could barely remember it. I had to go back and rewatch a a recap uh, and another recap and even parts of a couple of episodes. Also should point this out on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got an 81% overall score with critics, 74% with audiences. Season one was 68% with critics, 90% with audiences. Season two was 95% with critics, 58% with audiences. So that's an interesting flip. And again, having known nothing about the source material, I would agree with the critical assessment. Season one was okay, but it was really clunky. And it's also my understanding that it was more... But it is, pardon me, it, it is my understanding it was more aligned with the source material. Season two was a much tighter story, but apparently went off script, which is why audiences weren't happy and why someone rather important to all this apparently wasn't happy either. More on that in a moment. But first, here we are, season three, starting on June 29th with the first five of eight episodes. Everything that's happening... All connected. I mean, she's at the center of it. If war is coming, there is no hiding her from it. Are you sure about this? Are you? Here's another interesting thing about this show, as just teased a moment ago Henry Cavill who is fabulous as Geralt of Rivia, easily the best and most dynamic part of the show, and they're lucky to have had him. Cavill loves the Witcher books, and he's a huge video gamer. He loves the Witcher games, so I think it's so cool they got him. He's a fan of the material, and he's Superman, for God's sake. He's a big, or was. He's a big, powerful, masculine man and is perfect in this role. And that's where things get complicated, because... Of course, he is not Superman anymore, nor is he the Witcher anymore. In October, he revealed he would not return to the Witcher after season three. And then, of course, he popped up at the end of Black Adam back in October. And soon after, he revealed he was coming back to do a new Superman movie. And then just weeks later, he was out. James Gunn took over the DCU and decided he was moving in a different and younger Superman, which is an injustice. And is ironic, considering DC is home to the Justice League. And by the way, they announced uh, who the new Superman is going to be this week. Uh, some guy I've never heard of, heard of, but he looks pretty cool. The initial speculation, by the way, is that he was not coming back as the Witcher, which has since been recast with Liam's, Liam Hemsworth, due to Superman-related scheduling conflicts, but it appears that's not the case. 
And it turns out he's going to be starring in Warhammer 40,000 for Amazon Studios, which is another video game series, a series he says he's been playing since he was a boy. So he is pumped for that. But it sounds like there were some creative differences between Cavill and the showrunners on The Witcher. I've never, like, again, I've never read the books, haven't played the games, but there are reports that the writers and producers of the show, at least some of them, didn't like the source material. So they changed it to their liking. So I guess they aren't adapting the books after all. Sneaky jerks. Like, why Why do the studios keep hiring people who don't like the source material to adapt the source material? This is becoming a kind of a sickening trend. Anyway, I guess Cavill wasn't happy with that and decided it was just time for him to go, which is really too bad because it was a passion project for him. Fans of the books and games loved him. But hey, it's actually pretty cool that he gets to do another video game series that he loves, and hopefully it works. I love the passion this guy brings to his roles. And it also sucks because he didn't really get to show his chops as Superman either. He was looking forward to doing a story where Superman expressed some joy, more like the Superman of old. He never got to shine in the movies he was in because he was just also so grim and broody or, you know, dead. In the meantime, The Witcher, Season 3, Part 1 debuts June 29th. How was it? Well, I would say pretty good but not pretty great. Cavill is terrific. His primary castmates are pretty good. And I will add this. One of the best things about this show is the cinematography. Just some truly magnificent shots in this show and paired with excellent production design and CGI. This show definitely looks great. I kept finding myself, though, bored from the lack of action. And then when we did get action, it was cool, but super gory. So teenage Brett... Would have loved all the gore. Now, not so much. Doesn't make it bad, not criticizing it. It's just, it's made me realize I am becoming a bit of a fuddy-duddy. And the fight scenes we do get are great. Cavill is just superb in the role in every aspect. His acting, his physicality, and his commitment to this character. I think the big problem overall with this show is it seems to fancy itself like a Game of Thrones kind of show where everyone wants to be in charge and various regions are pitted against each other, the aforementioned intercontinental squabbling. But whereas Game of Thrones did all that political intrigue stuff so well, The Witcher, well, it's kind of boring in that sense. And once again, none of these places or names mean anything to me because I can't really remember season two and for that matter, season one. The fifth episode, though, of part one of season three. It's a clever piece of business. I don't want to get into all the tricks they pull, but it's non-linear storytelling and it's unique the way they do it. So it's a lot of fun. Overall, if you've enjoyed the first two seasons, I don't see why you wouldn't enjoy this. It's good, not great. Five episodes out this week, the final three episodes out on July 27th. And then that's it for Henry Cavill and Liam Hemsworth takes over. And after that, I think Netflix should should just cut their losses and get out. Up next, Jeff's going to tee up one of our favorite shows of the last few years. It is out this weekend and it's coming to an end. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and I don't think this has ever happened before aside from reality shows, but we got a second season of a show in the same calendar year as the last one coming up. January saw the release of season three, and this weekend we have the season four debut of Prime Video's Jack Ryan. Two days ago, a strike team assassinated President Udo. And yet, you cannot prove that we weren't involved. Doesn't that concern you? No, sir. It terrifies me. You need to manage this, Jack. Yes, sir. What are you going to tell him? This corruption goes way higher than the CIA. Hey, buddy. 
Say welcome. I figured we could use the help. Wish me luck. Good luck. The first three seasons of Jack Ryan were eight-episode affairs. This fourth and final season is six episodes, and they're doing two episodes a week. So on July 14th, we'll get the final two episodes of the series. Now, this was wild to have two seasons come out less than half a year apart. We knew for a while that they were shooting both back-to-back and that the fourth would be the final season, but I think we all just assumed they wouldn't put out that final season until sometime next year. Guess they want to be done with it, and it's coming out now. Frankly, the timing sort of sucks. I'm still healing from a bunch of our other shows wrapping up for good just a couple of weeks ago uh, on that front. Actually, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel starring uh, Rachel Brosnahan. She was the one that was named as the upcoming uh, Lois Lane in the next Superman movie. So we got a name brand character actor there. There you go. I I was trying to remember her name off the top of my head, so I just glossed over it. I guess I'm also a misogynist. I don't know. Anyway, you've never seen Maisel, so (laughs) her name wouldn't be on your mind. I remember when Maisel ended, I was like, boy, I hope she finds something good to do. So... Being Lois Lane, pretty good gig. Anyways, the timing sucks for uh, Jack Ryan coming to an end after Succession and Ted Lasso and all those other shows ended. Uh, Jack Ryan's been a great show. I think that third season was the best. I think it's been getting better as it goes along, too. Uh, It's based on the Tom Clancy character of who there have been a handful of movies like The Hunt for Red October, Clear and Present Danger, a few others. In the TV version, the main character of Jack Ryan is played by John Krasinski, and he does a great job with it. He does important CIA work, and he manages to find himself inserted in all this spy action. There have been a couple of other shows that walk on similar ground out this year. The Netflix shows The Night Agent and The Diplomat, for example. In this new season, it's shaping up to be Jack Ryan versus drug cartels. I've only watched the first episode. There's a lot of introductory work to be done, of course. We get reacquainted with some of the gang. Abby Cornish, his girlfriend from season one, is back. Greer is back, played by Wendell Pierce. Their boss, played by Petty Gabriel. And even though we haven't met him yet, Michael Kelly, uh, that guy character actor you would recognize is in the credits and will show up eventually and we meet a lot of new players namely the bad guys there's a drug cartel in Myanmar there's one in Mexico they're going into business together it gets messy and will somehow involve Jack Ryan didn't recognize most of the new actors except for the guy who was more famous than probably anyone else on the show Michael Pena he works for the one cartel but clearly has his own agenda and I assume he will be the force that Ryan has to reckon with again the first episode is a lot is just setting things up can't wait to see what they've come up with again that third season a few months ago was a big step up from season two so i got high hopes for the final episodes of this series jack ryan out this weekend on prime video and i saw one more movie this weekend in theaters brett jennifer lawrence has a fun new movie in theaters called no hard feelings hi hello long island iced tea this is the worst iced tea i've ever had his parents hired me to bring him out of his shell before college skinny dipping. What about shark? I'm very concerned about that. Skip in here right now. How's the kid working out? This is going to be harder than I thought. Don't touch me. Get away from her. You can't outrun the cop. I can't lose my license. No hard feelings in Peter's June 23rd. Jennifer Lawrence plays Maddie, a 32-year-old woman in Montauk, New York, kind of a summer resort community who's a bartender and has no real ambition in life. But she's behind on her property taxes. She inherited her house from her mom and needs some cash. Actually, she needs a new car so she can moonlight as an Uber driver to augment her income and pay those taxes. So she's drawn to a bizarre advertisement she finds in a local paper. Two parents, played by Matthew Broderick and Laura Benante, are looking for someone to date their very shy 19-year-old 
18-year-old son over the summer so he can head off to college in the fall with a little confidence and life experience. And saying that out loud sounds ridiculous, and it is ridiculous when it's first brought up in the movie, and uh, it somehow works, and to the credit of the movie, all the characters in the movie recognize it as a ridiculous premise. The kid Percy is played by Andrew Barth Feldman. Uh, never seen him before, but he fits the bill perfectly. He's just this gangly, nerdy guy who's been sheltered too much by his helicopter parents. And so Maddie sets out to make a man out of him, get her car back, and get back to her life of going nowhere. But maybe, just maybe, they'll all learn a little something about themselves and life along the way. And despite the, you know, what's really a weak premise, it's actually a pretty entertaining little movie. The theater had a lot of people in it when I saw it, and there were a lot of laughs. Uh, it's not surprising, given the talent behind the camera. The director is a guy named Gene Stupnitsky, who is not a famous man, but you probably have seen some of his work. Most notably, he was one of the writers through most of the run of The Office. He also played one of the advanced refrigeration delivery guys, and he wrote the movies Bad Teacher, Year One, and Good Boys, so he knows comedy. Jennifer Lawrence also knows comedy. She's just a great actress. She's up for anything, including what's probably the weirdest full frontal nudity scene I've ever seen and hats off to the editor of that it must have been tricky to cut it the way they did um to avoid an nc-17 rating or something like that feldman great in his role as a teen it's kind of a linchpin role again the premise is so weird that everything could easily fall apart if the chemistry isn't right and i thought it really worked uh you add in a couple of zany friends and townspeople you have a decent little comedy not reinventing the wheel but quite entertaining three and a half coach cushions out of five four no hard feelings all right, so Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is coming up. We've got Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning coming up. What is that, July 12th? It's coming soon, yeah. And then Oppenheimer, I think, is the 21st. Yep, with Barbie the same weekend. Oh, yeah. So we've. this has been a busy, busy sum, summer. Oh, I was good, looking summer. at... Uh, well, it's great, but it's just a... I think I've seen two or three movies in the last couple of months, and that's the most movies I've gone to the theater to see. And when I look at the list of movies I want to see but haven't, like Spider-Man Into the Spider or Across the Spider-Verse, I wanted to see Fast X. Uh, that Disney Elemental movie looks kind of cool. Uh, no, I'll never catch up. I will never <laughs> catch up, but we'll do our best to tell you about what we are caught up on. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.